0: Alright guys, today we're talking about the parent-coach relationship. It's definitely not an easy one for either side to manage effectively, and it can create a lot of undue stress and confusion on both sides. JP Nurbin will be joining us later, but first up, Amanda, what do you think?
1: Pressure's on, Amanda.
0: Well,
2: the <laughs> influence of a coach, and they, they said it's mo- one of the most influential people in your child's yeah. life. And, I don't take that lightly as a college coach, and I know there's a lot of responsibility in it.
1: Do you see yourself as a as important in terms of the athletics or growing the person?
2: To me, the person is the you know the number one thing we talk about with our recruits, their parents. The parents want to know their their child's gonna be looked after. So whatever age you're talking about with the youth high school and on, even college, on huh? and even college. Yeah. especially but, college especially college that's like they're they're the you know they left the home and now they're like oh boy where are we where are we sending our child and I look at them as my kids in a sense of you know wh- how would I want my daughter to be treated I mean our staff all has that mentality of we want to
1: give the parents a peace of mind before we get our guest today, can we do a little bitch session, though? <laughs> there <It's not, it's laughs> are two sides. sides. It's not the fault. There are fault. two sides. <laughs> well, I think that there is, well, let me think. I think that there are two sides, certainly, and you can often blame the parents and you can often blame the coaches. And you said there are bad coaches. And I think the flip side of being that inspirational coach is that coach that can really damage a kid in so many ways from, you know, the severe level to even, on a small level in terms of making them want to quit a sport or not love a sport. I mean, I always I was write that every year for my teachers um, when they say, what do you want your kid to get out of school this year? And I write down, I want them to love learning and love coming to school. And while I love my teachers, um, I feel like I'm battling my kids every day to go to school. And I feel like on some level, like, if you can instill a love of something in somebody else, then gosh, you're brilliant. You're doing a brilliant job as a coach or a teacher. I think it's a hard thing to do, but I think it's so critical, especially when you get to that younger level of children. It's, it's
2: hard because it's, you, want to, you want them to feel valued. Mm-hmm. And, and so many times the value comes from scoring a goal or playing time. How do you, those, those athletes that, you know, maybe don't get the best grades in school and, but still try hard, how do you still let them know they're valued as a human?
1: But do you think I found so often the kids don't care. Like they don't care if they score. They don't care if they they celebrate the silliest things. Like I coached a girls' basketball team a couple years ago for my daughters, and the things that they remembered and loved about it were not the things at all that I had planned. Right? They loved like the they got their boombox out and did their pregame warm up and like thought they were so funny and like all the things that they took from that bonding experience. They were sixth graders. I mean, pretty young, but I think you know we get caught up as parents, and I think that creates this problem between the parents and the coaches. In ultimately, what we want, right? The outcome. The outcome, and we're living vicariously so often. We really are, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. Don't you think?
0: Yeah, and it's not even. It's not just living vicariously. I think, as we've talked about on the website a lot it becomes like a drug like you're it, it's so exciting to watch and see them compete and it's not that you necessarily want to be out there but it gives you a sense of satisfaction it gives you your ego a boost if your kids are doing good and i think that all too often that, that parents are putting their own egos involved in making decisions of what is right for their kid. And it's usually not right for the child. It's what their own egos wants.
1: I think there's so many levels that I mean, really, there's so many layers to this. And and I think parents are often in a difficult spot because I go back to thinking, I mean, you, you need to be as a parent, your child's advocate. What does that mean? Does that mean that you're challenging a coach for playing time? Does that mean, you know, what exactly does that mean? Because, In an extreme circumstance, we've saw we've seen the most tragic thing that can possibly happen in the Larry Nassar case, and and in parents probably that will never sleep again at night, knowing that they put their child and entrusted, you know, an adult with their child and thought that they were doing the best thing for their kid and putting them in the hands of a predator like that. So I think we're reminded on a visceral gut level when it comes to things like that that we need to be advocates and we've got to watch out for. our kids. Now that's one extreme horrific level and, and there's everything in between. But, but I think for parents, you're so often wondering like, what, how much do I push? How much do I pull? How much do I, you know, am I being crazy? Do much should I be more, let them be more independent. It's a difficult place to find that balance. It's a
2: million dollar question really is how much is too much. And when, when should I advocate for my child? And at the older ages, I'll tell you in college, it doesn't happen at that point we want our players to, now that they're women, advocate for themselves. Yeah. But on the youth levels, I think you're right. There's you know, there's a little give and take there of, okay, we signed up for a certain club. You have certain expectations. Is, is it about playing time? Is it about starting at, at times? And when when is it appropriate to step in? And that's hard for me to answer because I have never <laughs> coached club at that level. And and I
1: don't have kids playing club. When do you think it is? Because I, I had an incident recently <laughs> where, where I where I stepped in um, at the wrong time right after a game. Oh, yeah, that's the wrong time. That's the wrong time <laughs>
0: um, in,
1: in middle school basketball. And um, and the outcome was not good.
2: And that, I, that will generally happen at the when you that's when you know you did at the wrong time. So good for you.
1: So you, <laughs> you found that out. At the same time, I, I maintain that I think it, it, the coach needs to also maintain a level of professionalism.
0: I think a lot of all these problems, just like everything else in the world, could be solved with communication. Like truly, when yeah. if and I, I'm sure you must do this, you set down but ahead of time when the season starts and you talk about all these things, and you explain this is how you, this coach wants it. I mean, and it, it can't be a, a document to sign, because I haven't read no, one document I, I I've signed either. in 10 years probably for my kids, because we sign them so often. It, it, it has to be a, a real discussion and a, and a conversation that we hold each other accountable, parents and coaches. You know, the parents, you, you do have a right to know
2: what's going on, and that's what Going back to the communication, It's all about communication.
1: Yeah. But but, Amanda, parents should know. I think from you at the collegiate level, there really is no room for a parent calling you up and talking to you about no the time. There's no room for that. It's it's. Has it ever
0: happened?
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do what, tell. What did that go like? Well, it didn't go well. I'll say that.
0: <laughs> and, um, you know, and it actually,
2: kind of ruins things for the athlete. I feel like because. It's the parents' views and the parents' thoughts and the parents kind of going over the stepping over across the line. I think to what was inappropriate, and then that reflects poorly on on their child. And so it's hard to
0: separate, to separate it.
2: And and the parent makes comments based on maybe what the child tells them, and but the parents not in our training environment. They're not there day to day, so they they don't see what us as a staff see. And it's not for for us. And and you know we have a staff of you know, four or five, you know, you know, if you know, you count other player, uh, other you know, sports performance and all that. It's a it's a good sized step. So I'm not making these unilateral decisions just based on my right, right knowledge and what I see. It's a conversation. So I think the parents at that level they need to know there's there's a lot of eyes on these athletes and, and they have a chance to change minds.
1: Is there a difference between a parent talking to you about playing time and kind of educating you on what they think their kid needs and what they think works for their kid? <laughs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but, you
0: know, I, I think that it could be a good idea at the younger uh, <laughs>
1: that doesn't work. You, it's yeah.
3: not
0: going to work. Well, you know what? I did. What one coach, a water polo coach, told me that he, after every practice, had a whiteboard, and he would put in the starting positions Based on that practice, he was full transparency. Now, this takes time. I think this is part of the problem. It takes a lot of effort and time. Just to shut everyone down. Yeah. There's yeah. no discussion. And it was based on that practice. This is who, when we're playing, will be starting. And he'll do it. He does it every practice.
1: And I like, we, I was on a basketball team. I was, I was. my son was on a basketball team. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> my son was on a, my 10-year-old son was on a basketball team um, where the coach did send out a note to the parents saying, hey, everybody, we're kind of at a level right now where we're going to not, it's no longer, everybody gets to play the same amount of playing time. We're now looking at who's starting and who matches best in the position. It's not to say they're only going to play a certain place, but we want to let you know that this is the direction we're going. And now we're kind of more of a club. So if you're anticipating or expecting something else and you want your son to play equally, this probably isn't the right team.
0: Well, you know, and, and our coach, our our club does a great job of that. We have a great meeting. And I do think people forget that. I think it has to be said at the beginning, the middle, the end. But it also has to be laid out with like a deeper meaning and reason to it you have and we're gonna have jp on here in a second and he's great about this but you have to have conversations with the parents what are you looking for what is your end goal what do you want to accomplish because once they and he has them i think write it down once they write these out then they're held accountable because if you're writing wins and you're no one's gonna write that So you're going to have to write what is what it should be, which is like to grow as a person, to grow as a player. And then you hold everyone accountable to those things.
1: (laughs) I think what we do know about this topic is that really we're kind of getting to a place where we're at a little bit of a breaking point. And I think we've seen that in some of the videos that go viral. We just put something on our Facebook page the other day. A coach um, came out of the dugout during a youth baseball game and actually came after a parent with a baseball bat. I think that happened in, in the state of Indiana. And I think we're just at this point where there's so much tension and so much stress and so much pressure in all of our lives. And I just feel like this relationship, even in my little incident um, <laughs> in my world where, where people are stressed and, you know, I yep. think we're seeing the worst of it in, in youth sports.
0: Well, hopefully by talking a little bit more about it today, we can uh, make a change in that. So let's, let's get JP Nervin. He's coming up next. He is a mentor, a consultant, a public speaker, and he'll be joining us right after this break.
1: Okay, sports parents, who needs a break from cooking but still wants to feed the family fresh and nutritious meals? Well, check out Freshly.com. Freshly is a meal delivery service that allows you to skip the grocery store and the meal prep, but you don't have to give up on great food. You can use promo code FLAN2X to get $20 off your first two weeks at Freshly.com. All
0: right, JP, thanks for joining us. JP is a regular contributor on I Love to Watch You Play. You have your own website, ThriveOnChallenge.com. You're a coach, a mentor, a consultant, a public speaker. Coaching is your jam, your passion, and you've dedicated your life to it and helping others. So thanks so much, JP, for being here.
3: Well, I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: You call yourself a transformational coach. So tell us, what does that mean?
3: Well, on on good days, I'm a transformational (laughs) coach. Amen. (laughs) It's a struggle, right? You know, I spent many years as a transactional coach. And it's really, when you're in transactional coach, I think your heart posture is that of you're trying to get more out of your players consistently. And I experienced a shift a few years ago where I started to, try to give more to my players instead of get more out of them. And I think for years it was more about, you know, player development. And I believed in developing character and developing better people. (laughs) And I felt like sports would just naturally do that. And I was kind of convinced of that, but I wasn't intentional about it. And I moved a few years ago to being not from convinced to being convicted. And that's really about how I became intentional about it. Started to study, got a mentor, and really started to evaluate my... Behaviors, my language, uh, literally everything I did as a coach and in my interactions with the players to start to serve the players mm-hmm. instead of serving myself. So, I mean, that's kind of simply how I define it. So, what are
2: some specific things you did to change your culture? Like the language you mentioned, language and behavior. What are what are some examples?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it really is just being grateful for the opportunity. Sometimes I think, as even as a transformational coach, I think we can get a little hung up and a little bit, you know, high and mightiest coaches, thinking that we had this great impact and we're here and all that. But uh, really just kind of moving my my art posture, like I mentioned there too, how can I serve the players? Language-wise, it really was kind of some deep reflection on the fact that I was trying to control players. I was trying to control their behaviors and I was trying to fix them. And I had to kind of surrender some of that control. And I had to start leading by using questions instead of actually enforcing punishment and consequences all the time. I had to kind of engage in healthy conversations with kids about their behavior, about like what's going on here. Uh, you're not working hard today or you seem a little bit out of it. Instead of just coming with the heavy hand and enforcing consequences, just starting to have conversations, seeing the athlete is more than the athlete, just seeing him as a person. And some of that has other struggles inside and outside of their sport.
1: It's um, interesting. And I think so important as a parent, I, I watch, I think one of my biggest pet peeves is watching the coaches and I know I'm guilty of it myself and I'm guilty as a parent, but of doing that, like that sigh and that, oh, you missed the shot Um, and yeah. uh, the, the body language constantly. And, and I'm so bothered by it when I watch my own kids play and just see the coach's body language of just like oh my God, you constantly are letting me down because like you didn't make the shot or you weren't And and I'm sitting there thinking like, well, the kids are trying. It's not like they tried to miss the layup. You know, you don't need to tell them that they need to make the layup. I mean, duh. Right. But I think too often it, it is about, I think it's really powerful. What you just said is, is just, it's a, it's, it, at some point it's not about you and it's kind of taking some time to say you're, you're coaching and teaching and, you know, affecting human beings and how can you uh, mentor and change and, and help them?
3: Yeah, and I, I literally filmed myself and I started recording myself. Wow. I started listening back and looking because the reality is the way we do things, our perception is very much distorted from actually the, the truth. <laughs> Real- it always is, looking, right? Yeah. So like you look at the film for players and you break them down there. Well, as a, as a coach, have you ever really like, looked at film yourself. Well, I'll be honest with you. The first time I filmed myself and watched myself, it was – I couldn't finish it. It was horrible. I, I was like, who is this idiot, right? Like, And so I really had to, like, step back and kind of evaluate that because, you know, the things – I think there's something – you know, I saw this on Twitter the other day where somebody was saying about, you know, uncoachable kids lead to unco- or uncoachable adults, right? And I, I think that's kind of true, but I think also there's this other truth. That sometimes, as coaches, we we scream, we yell. Yeah. The way we communicate to people would never last in a workplace. Like, <laughs> never. <laughs> like if I said this to another coach, I said, if someone spoke to my wife the way that you're speaking to these kids, I would tell my wife to quit her job today. Right? I would never last, stand for that. So I think we have this double standard. And also, the other thing is, yes, you want sports to prepare you for life later on, a workplace, and all that. But it's still sports. It's still life. It's still about fun, and you got to have the balance there. The
2: culture in American society is winning, win at all costs kind of mentality. And mm-hmm. as coaches, especially at the youth level, you have to think about development not only as a of a athlete, but as a person. You're still developing young people, young young children yeah. to um, you know learn to navigate life. So that's. I think if coaches took that into their heart and you, and you talked about a lot about asking questions, body language is huge. Like the vibe we get off as coaches can set the tone for the whole training session. If we come in, let's say it was traffic jam and like you're, you have anxiety or you're just a little like frustrated with getting there late that, that will rub off on those players. And I've, as a coach, have had to, had to check myself at the door, really like going in, really going through the gate to training what what, if, what kind of vibe am I giving off right now? What How can I make these players more at ease and uh, feel like they can play with freedom?
1: I think you make a great point too about um, our expectations sometimes of coaches because as a parent with kids in elementary school, can you imagine leaving your kids with a teacher who had no training? <laughs> I mean, who didn't have a teaching degree or who didn't have any expertise in kids? Or And I think it's a, a, an interesting subject because I know, you know I've coached a couple of times and I've coached with my husband with our kids and our rec leagues. And we've had kids that have ADHD or different disorders. And it's, it's difficult to know if you're not trained in that, how to kind of handle a child and how to not be detrimental. And when you get frustrated and you're trying to get, I mean, if you have not coached on any level, you will like, I just coached eight amazing. year
2: olds for the first time really e- ever. Like after I like have coached in my camp and stuff, but I actually ran a training session for eight year olds. It was exhausting. Like I, you know, I, college, not, college is no big deal. Coaching eight, try to coach eight-year-olds.
1: That's, how, that's how a good are the test. How parents?
2: <laughs> Most part, they were good. There was uh, one, one parent that, um, you know, opened my eyes to how the culture can be uh, a little bit going the wrong direction with how serious they could be and what their expectations are at, you know seven eight nine years old it was well i think that's the
0: other side of the story it's like yes we want our coaches to be this but then we have parents that are so crazy that make it almost impossible to have an enjoy i mean and if you're not winning the parents are on you yeah you can't you can talk development all you want but a lot most parents don't they don't believe in that they're or they'll say they do but they want to see wins and so it, it creates such a you know, a direct opposition of two things that are trying to happen and occur. And JP, you actually wrote a blog that was so impactful to me. I wanted to read a little bit of it and have you react about about that a little and, and we can talk about it. But what's going on mm-hmm. inside for a coach right now and what they're having to deal with? So it, it's a blog. You say, finally, I cannot stall any longer. My coaches and I step out of the locker room door and into the gymnasium, hoping it has been cleared out. No such luck. Parents, players, fans are still lingering. We look for the nearest exit and start moving towards the door. My assistant coaches know not to leave me by myself. Their strength in numbers and their (laughs) presence makes me less vulnerable to an attack. I feel like I'm in some zombie apocalypse movie trying to escape an infested building. This is my favorite line. I am unsure of who to trust, who is still human or who has turned.
1: Because that's so true, right? I just oh, that's great, love that. Great image. I'm sorry. I think I've been that mom before. <laughs> You've been a zombie mom? at <laughs> well, oh, yeah, you with
0: like claws out. <laughs> claws back <out." laughs> in.
2: <laughs> that, that, that example, I, I was recruiting in North Carolina recently. And after one of the games, I was just standing there waiting to talk to a coach of a club. That's my friend. And a father approached him and he was upset about his daughter's playing time. And I felt the whole situation it was it was not good timing. The daughters in, and they're crying. Oh. The and it was, it was like loud enough that they're arguing. That I was you know causing a scene. And I oh was like, my. oh, this is just horrible all around. And I didn't know, like as a you know college coach, I just kind of backed out of it. So <laughs> I, was
1: like, okay. I did the moonwalk.
2: But it was sad to see.
0: Yeah, I felt
2: bad for the player, the the girl. She's you know probably. 14
3: years oh, old in the middle. Yeah.
0: And so how does that feel? Tell us a little more about that, JP. What, what is that feeling that you described there?
3: Well, just even you reading that it's actually just hard for me to have somebody read that. Actually, I don't go back and read that. Cause it's, it's kind of a painful experience. And I think I really took two things away from that blog because it was, it has been probably the most popular thing I've written so far. But it, the first thing is that I'm not alone. And the response I got from other coaches was just really impactful for me because I had so many people saying, you know, my husband goes through this or I go through this or my wife goes through this and I can relate. I just got so many emails like that. And they're, they're really, it made me feel good in some sense, uh, but also just made me feel scared for our culture, right? That <laughs> that this is our experience. And it was a really painful time for me to be honest with you because like, Especially at this time, it was a time where my wife had moved states with my daughter. And I was just kind of distant for them as I finished out the season. And, and I made all this sacrifice for these for these kids. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to do things the right way at this time. I was trying to be a transformational coach. And parents just didn't care. They, we weren't winning. <laughs> uh. you know. Their kid wasn't playing. And it was just vicious. And the hate emails, the texts. I mean, uh. I'd give everything to it. So that was really hard. And so, I kind of the first thing I took was that other coaches are going through similar things, but the second thing I took, and I've kind of taken from that after I've written that article, was that I was still responsible it's as a coach, it's my culture, you know I'm responsible for that culture, mm-hmm. and yes, who I bring in, the players I take and I, and I'm sure amanda can 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 relate to this, especially at the collegiate level, like you recruit players, you recruit a certain player, you're also recruiting the parents but the things, the way I communicate to parents, all that matters. And at that stage, I was really focused on the kids. And I probably wasn't, you know, I wasn't ready to do this, but I, I, was, I was building walls. I wasn't breaking down walls with the parents. And I was kind of responsible for that. that. And I, I really didn't create a positive environment for those parents that they could feel, that they could come communicate. So things bubbled over. And yes, did they in, act inappropriately? Absolutely. But I was still responsible for that culture that I created. And so that's something as a coach I've done a lot of reflection on and I've tried to help other coaches with is, is to kind of take some responsibility for when things go really, really bad, that, that we have a part to play in that.
0: JP, that that leads us to a great place to take a little quick break. And when we come back, let's talk solutions. Let's hear what you've done and what you can do as parents and coaches to make this relationship better.
1: Do you have a daughter who wants to play soccer in college? Well, there's a great resource that you need to know about. It's called College Committed. College Committed is an online program designed to help 8th through 12th grade female soccer players and their parents navigate the college recruiting process effectively. You'll get advice from college coaches, be matched with colleges that are good fits, and receive step-by-step task lists for parents and players to follow throughout the entire recruiting process. Go to www.collegecommitted.com to find out more information and to watch a free webinar. All
0: right, we're here with J.P. Nurbin. He's joining us for a very important talk about the relationship between coaches and parents. We spent the first half of this podcast talking about all the issues, and now let's talk about some of the solutions. J.P., what do you have?
3: Well, I think... If you go on social media, you go into anything, I think you're going to see a lot of people that are just calling each other out. Parents calling pa- coaches out saying, you know, this coach is bad. Look what this coach did. And other coaches calling parents out. I think you see even, even in the news, you know, where you get these big extreme circumstances where a parents getting fights and the coaches getting fights, you know. And I think sometimes we look at those extreme circumstances of the really, really bad coach, and we go look at the really, really bad parent. We say, oh, I'm not those. And we can just get into this place where we're very judgmental. And so I think we've got to call coaches up. We've got to call parents up wherever we are on that spectrum, as, as, whether we're a coach or a parent. And I think the first thing is really kind of what was the title of that article that you kind of referred to earlier, which was just to say, to be grateful. To say thank you after games It's pretty much all coaches really need to hear. is just, you know, thank you, coach. They don't need to hear a good game or bad game or any advice. What can I do to help? You know, just really trying to step up and contribute. I give you four other things too. The other one was the ownership. Before you can start to point out somebody else's flaws, are you doing what you can within your circumstances, within your within your role as a parent or as a coach? Are you trying to be the best coach you can be? Are you trying to be the best parent you can be? Are you reading, you know, parenting books, coaching books? Are you evaluating your behaviors? You know, we you know share something there about like just how I filmed myself. So just kind of doing that and taking ownership of the things you can do. I think a third thing would be vulnerability. I think this is huge, and that is to share some struggles. I think this is where we can start to build a relationship with the coach if you're a parent. The reality is you, whether you're a coach or a parent, you've made some mistakes in the past. And and maybe as a parent, for instance, you've maybe for years you've been really, really hard on your kid or you've been that horrible parent in the car ride home, right? Is to kind of share with the coach, like, listen, I've done some things in the past. I've yelled from the stands, and just want to let you know I'm really working on that. Right? Uh, there's probably going to be some times I'll slip up in the future, but I just want to let you know that. Just that opens up a dialogue. When we start to pretend, when we pretend yeah. like we're perfect, nobody wants to dialogue with us. Nobody likes mm-hmm. wants to talk with us about that. They want to, they don't want to hear our suggestions in the future. The next thing I would say would be to start to build relationships, and I think these need to be built on really seeing the other person as people. I think we view coaches as just this, like a coach and we forget the fact that he's a parent. We forget the fact that he's a husband or a wife. You know, we forget about all those things. So I think we got to view the coaches or the parent as people. Parents are going through struggles, marital struggles, just struggles with their, with their, with their child. Like sometimes the relationship's not perfect there. So how can we build a relationship where we can see the person or to see that parent or coach at, as, as a person, I think sometimes that can be done best by just having fun. You know, creating envir- kind of team bonding things with coaches, yeah. players, parents, where everyone's just yeah. having fun together. I, th- I call it the fun factor. You need to have more fun than you have conflict. And if you do that, you can still have a lot of conflict. Yeah. Um, but as soon as that relationship starts to experience way more conflict and fun or in positive experiences
1: yeah, between so those true. relationships
3: then it's going to te- teeter off the other side.
0: And, 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 you know, this is such a simple idea, and I don't know why more teams don't do this. Why is the party at the end of the season? I always get <laughs> to the end of the season. I'm like, wow, yeah. these parents are so great. I had no I idea. Wish I Good point. It, it, there should be so much more happening at the beginning and the start from some of your research, J.P., you have a specific way, and we've talked about this before, and I love to watch you play, how you can really get at some of these things and the motivations for your child playing and kind of get, get sort of on a, uh, a same page or wavelength with the coach and the parent.
3: Yeah, and I think so yeah, the fifth thing is empowerment. It's, it's starting to ask questions. You know, really at a, at a coach's and parents meeting mm-hmm. is to start, start to ask them, like, what really matters? Like I always think that one of the greatest questions I ever came across for for parents was uh, Inside Out Coaching by Joe Ehrman, which is a great book for coaches. But he always says to ask parents at the beginning of the year, what is your greatest concern for your son or daughter for the next five years of their life? And um, I, I always try to ask this when parents are really upset about playing time or something going on there. After you kind of listen to them, I think it's a great question. It's like, what really matters here? You know, like what really matters is it the, whether they play or not play. Is that really no? There's a lot of other things that we're we're concerned about in their life, but with things in school, with education, within the culture. I also think just kind of asking them what their expectations are uh, of the program. You know, is is what their expectations of of you as a coach are. You know, asking parents that can be can be really really critical. Just starting to open up those lines of communication um i think it's best done by asking questions instead of coming in there and handing them a rule book like the do's and don'ts of parents or those right. you do all the <laughs> things, right like that's not very encouraging but but that's the culture
1: that's that to me feels like the culture that has to change because i think gone are the days of like the 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 bobby knight style coaching of like i'm the coach i throw the chair you listen to me parents you don't have a right to to talk to me or, or ask me a question about what I'm doing. And Amanda,
0: like, this is all on the lower youth level. Just,
1: <laughs> you keep doing what you're doing. I keep throwing doing. chairs. I just keep throwing chairs. <laughs> but I think, I think coaches, like you said, there has to be equal accountability, right? Because I believe in, in we, we all talk about, we want this environment where our, we want sports to teach our kids all these great lessons, character and discipline. But, but kids cannot learn that unless the environment is set up by the adults running that team or organization or whatever it is if the environment it does not nurture those things right so we we have to create i think as parents and as coaches a, a nurturing environment that allows those things to come forward and i think you bring up such a great point of just coaches and parents working together and, and being able to say like hey this is listen like i'm scared about this with my kid or this is what i struggle with with my kid i'm really hoping that you know, my kid might not be the best kid on the team. And I'm worried that if they, you know, are going to be insecure, if they can't hit, hit get on base or if they can't, like, could you help me?
0: But it's interesting. You have to. And I think that would only happen if you had a coach like JP or probably Amanda, too, where you have a vulnerability, right? Because it, the way I deal with coaches, for the most part, is not at all. I feel like their time is so precious. They've got this. I just, I'm like, is that them or you? I don't know. I just have. That's how I. I I only bother them if I really, really need to ask a question. I stay way off. I mean, maybe at a party at the end of the year, I might chat them up for a second. But I mean, there's so many. You know, they're trying to work on their. I mean, that's why
2: you wanted me to meet them to give you an (laughs) in. (laughs)
0: There's just no. There's no time. I mean, that's my approach. I think a lot of parents are different, and everyone has their own approach. But there's not a lot of time to do that. No, I feel the same way. I mean, I I realized
1: at the end of this year, like my daughters have have basketball as part of their PE. It's one of their classes. It's part of their curriculum. I've gone in and talked to all the teachers. I understand like what their goals are. And yet the sports, you know, whatever sport they're playing in that sixth period, I haven't talked to that coach. And I don't really feel comfortable talking to that coach and asking those same questions that I feel very comfortable and entitled talking to a teacher about. You but know, I think it's
2: that that is up to the coach to cultivate that environment right. where you feel like they,
1: are,
2: you, they are approachable. We want to be approachable as coaches, and we want to be open to the conversations. It's different at different levels, yes. But a g- example for us, something we include coaches in or the parents in, we give them our travel itinerary. We tell them what hotels we're staying at. They can stay at the team hotel if they want to. Like some coaches may be against that. They maybe some players are against that. I don't know. <laughs> But we, we invite them to team meals. One of the things we did early on, when I my first year at UCLA, uh, on a road trip, instead of going out to a restaurant for dinner, the hotel had grills out back. And so the, we all, like, yeah. the parents brought stuff. We just had this big potluck. We grilled, and all the parents that traveled. And that was one of the best things I did at UCLA, like, right off the bat, just to get everyone
1: connected. Yeah. That was the yeah. important thing. It goes back to you saying you have to have fun, right, JP?
3: yeah. Well, I think Amanda's spot on. I just think the hard part for coaches is that we've had such, we've had experiences like mine, right? Where we've had those vicious parents. We've been stung. We've been hurt. And I think the hard part is for us to be courageous enough to to step into that, that space where we're going to be vulnerable again. And so, honestly, I know so many coaches that I mentor and work with on a one-on-one basis. Just the thought of them having to go up to a parent after a game and just say thank you for coming, which I encourage all my coaches to do, is to go up to the parents and whether they're a zombie or not, whether they've heard <laughs> of you or not, just thank them for coming, right? Because they are a part of the culture. And I know a lot of coaches say, well, that's not right. Coaches aren't, you know, parents shouldn't be a part of the culture, but, but they are. In fact, they're the number one most important person in that kid's life. And no matter how good of coaches we think we are, we still will always come you know, second to that parent. That parent is the number one person and if we need to engage that person and if they're really not the most bad or they're not a great parent, right? In the sense of their behaviors, then we got to start to build that relationship with them. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's challenging from both sides because like you said, Asia, it's, in your perspective, it's very scary and intimidating because you don't want to be that parent. Well,
0: right. Exactly. Um, you don't want to be that parent. And and, and also there's rules. You know, you can't talk before practice. After practice, they're <laughs> usually coaching another team. There's there's not there's a not lot of time. time. But I think one thing, and, and we had a parent write in about this, and I'm going to read it right here, that that is so spot on. It seems hard to talk to coaches because you don't want to be that parent. With school, there's constant feedback in terms of tests, papers, projects, grades, and standardized testing. Besides a couple of assessments a year, really one usually for ours, or maybe two, it's hard to figure out how it's going for your kid. Is your kid improving? How you can help? At this point, we're devoting countless hours of our resources, and it seems that there should be more feedback and attention, and I think that's part of the issue. It's like, okay, we're not getting as much playing time. Why? I think part of the problem... Is our kids could be telling us more? They might get it on the field, and we don't even know, or they don't even remember by the time they get off the field about the little chat they had. Out, they should work on this or whatever. But I think that communication is that important piece that would settle everybody down on both sides.
3: Well, you, that's where you start to work together. I mean, when a kid has a bad practice, you know, like a really bad practice, or you, or if you pull a coach pulls them from the game because they're because of certain behaviors, right? I think sometimes as coaches we feel like, well, that's not the parents' concern, but it is. It should be. Like, there's something going on there, and I think, you know, if we could open up the, the the communication there, and if a parent felt like, man, my my kids really not enjoying soccer this year, like they are, they're coming home after practice every day just sick of this, like, like how long do we wait before we call the coach? Like we shouldn't be waiting that long. Like maybe yeah, but we're afraid the coach, of the, the press. The coach you know? benefit though
1: i I think I mean, it's that's a the tough thing. One.
3: coach would that we would both benefit both both parties would significantly benefit from knowing and communicating what they're seeing right like, i I learned as coaches were always trying to figure out what's inside their head. well, the parents are sometimes pretty good indicators of that yeah, I learned
1: a good lesson I think this year um when I was upset about my son wanting to quit baseball and kind of feeling a little frustrated that the environment hadn't been <laughs> fun, quite frankly. And and one of our, I think on Facebook, one of our readers wrote a note that really kind of struck me, which said like, hey, you know, it's not just the coach's job to make the sport fun. Like if your child's not enjoying it and having fun, are you doing the work you need to do? Are you practicing? Are you outside throwing a ball occasionally and making that fun so that when he shows up to baseball. He knows, you know, he has some that. skills because we've done it in the backyard. <laughs> and I was like, no, like I haven't done anything. I haven't done anything, nothing. Like I drop him off at practice. I take him to the games. I'm late half the time. I pick him up. I'm, you know, <laughs> so, so, and I, I mean, yes, like I'm, I, like you said, you look in the mirror, you record yourself. I think a lot of us are guilty of being that parent, even though we don't really, you know, think we are. I have a
2: question for, this is more for a club coach. Because the environment is different today than it was back when we all played as far as parents watching practices yes. and if I was a coach like our practices are open if a parent's in town yeah they come watch training yeah. but if they were there every day as a, as a coach I would be like I feel like I was looking over my shoulder <laughs> like what are, are they nitpicking me are they so that might uh, like right off the bat put a coach on edge just as thought
0: a lot of parents watch practice a lot a lot I would. when say did that,
2: that become a thing?
0: I think at the <laughs> club question. level, I mean, it's a funny thing. The rec level, as soon, as soon as you felt like they were a little old enough, you probably didn't. There's not much to see. I mean, where it is that quite
2: honestly, intense. I
1: almost feel pressure the other way. I feel like I'm a bad parent if I just drop them off and go. Yeah, I think you should just drop them off. And go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what? Uh, all right, JP, we're, we're running out of time. We so appreciate you coming on. You can always catch up with JP at ThriveOnChallenge.com. And of course, we're at ILoveToWatchYouPlay.com. And you can follow Amanda and her Bruins at UCLABruins.com and Twitter at at CromwellUCLA. Until next time, thanks for listening.